Welcome back to the Eat Scripture Podcast. This is Eric Robinson uh, with you alone for the last time, I think, uh, at least for this little short period we've been together, last couple of weeks. But I'm going to come at you alone today, and then in just a few days, Gina will be joining me again. Be really, really happy to have her back. Uh, She'll be back in town, back from her travels abroad, as it were, uh, just in Mexico, but looking forward to her coming back, returning from there, and joining me for the rest of Ecclesiastes. But today we're going to start uh, in that toward the end of 18, which is where we, we kind of made it to the end of 18 last time. Just want to recap a little bit as we're headed that way. So what we've learned so far uh, as we were closing on, in on the end of 18, especially verses 10 following, we were, I was saying again, just how important this particular section is, what a big deal it is, and how it goes with some other sections that really kind of get us into the heart of the Kohelet, where he is, where he's coming down on things, how he's understanding things and what he's seeing. So there in verses 10 through 13, very much looking at things in life and how strange they are, because so often it seems like that the people who do good are the people who don't seem to receive a good place in this world or really get rewarded for it in this world. And the people who do bad, on the other hand, seems like very often they're the ones who do live a long life, uh, enjoy the things of life, and really get something out of it. And he doesn't know how to put this together. So he's talking about in verse 12, though a sinner does distressing things, evil, distressing things a hundred times and prolongs his life. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. This is where the Kohelet has decided to put his heart. I mean, he trusts God. He trusts that God knows what he's doing and that God is doing it for a reason. So that's where he's going to put his faith, which is what we've heard before. You know, this is exactly the same kind of thing he was saying when we were back in chapter three. And in 317, he said that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. I said this in my heart. So he knows that's true. He trusts that that's true, that God knows what's happening and that the heart of the, the, or that uh, the sinner does evil a hundred times maybe, but God knows, God, uh, he knows that God is the one who people need to fear because God knows what he's doing. And verse 13 in chapter 8, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So again, here it is. It'll be well with the good. God knows that he's good and God will know um, that he fears God. And so he'll take care of the good person in some way. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like shadow because he does not fear, fear before God. This is the problem, and Kohelet knows it, but he trusts that God knows what he's doing. And so God's going to, in some way, make it right. And then he goes through verses 14 through the end of the chapter, and he has a lot to say about the, the fact that, you know, this is a hard-to-understand thing. Um, there's wicked, uh, there are people on the earth, righteous people, to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. So wicked people have a good things happen to them 
and righteous people who have bad things happen to them. And this is an enigma. He says this is a complete enigma to him. He puts that word on either side of verse 14. At the beginning and at the end. This is the thing he does not get. thing he does not understand. I wish I could understand this, but it is a complete riddle to me. But here's what he commends. Same thing he's been commending. This idea of eating and drinking and be joyful. Find some joy in the toil that you do today, for this will go well with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. This is what the person needs to do. This is what a man needs to do. To eat, drink, and find joy in life. Find peace in life today. This is what people should do. And this is the gift that God has given us. And so this is how he want, this is how he has come to understand how life can be lived and be enjoyed. And you can't, if you spend all your time trying to figure these things out, and if you spend all your time trying to make your future perfect or live for this or live for that, which may or may not come to be because no one knows, then you can wind up in a very bad position because it doesn't happen like you thought it would. Because nothing seems to happen like you thought it would. There's a place for wisdom, but it can't ultimately get you an understanding of everything. He has a real place in his heart for wisdom. He loves wisdom, but he knows it can't get you everything, which is how he ends this chapter. So verse 16, so three, uh, eight, 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that's done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. In other words, just constantly trying to understand what it is that God has done on the earth, uh, that people do on the earth even, and understand how everything works together understand what people are doing and applying themselves to and how it works and what God has put into practice. Verse 17, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. That's the work of God. God has made it so that we can't figure it out, so that we can't figure out how things work together here. What all man's doings mean. No matter how much we try, we can't figure it out. So at the end of verse 17, how much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though he, uh, even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is what it comes down to for him. You cannot learn exactly how this life is arranged or how things will go or how things will be understood. You can't do it no matter how much you apply yourself to try to do it. You can't do it, and God has made it to be this way. So you're going to have to learn to settle with the idea that God's in charge, and he knows what he's doing. Back to chapter 5, verse 2. You understand? The very middle of our book. Chapter 5, 1 through 7. Back to chapter 5, verse 2. God's in heaven. You're on earth. So you need to let him be in charge and not question him all the time, not demand that he give you answers all the time. And just learn to enjoy today. This is the gift of God to enjoy today because you can't verify exactly how things are going in the future and exactly why things are the way they are right now. So you just give that over to God. Um, we go on to verse 9 now. Or chapter 9, excuse me. So in chapter 9, verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Both are before who? Both are before God. 
man doesn't know whether he's going to get love or hate out of this deal, but both are before God. Okay. Verse, so chapter nine, verse one, when he lays it to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. That's what he's contemplating. That's what he's thinking about, that God holds all these things. God knows both the right, he knows the righteous and the wise and all of their deeds. He knows they're in the hand of God and exactly how God is going to, what God's going to bring him into. He doesn't know what God's going to bring the wise or the, uh, the wise and the righteous into be it love or hate. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. And you can't figure it out. Man can't figure it out. Both are before God. God might bring either one into uh, man's life, whether he's good or bad. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is distressing. This is a distressing thing. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. It's a distressing thing to him. That the same events are happening to all people. Also, the hearts of children of man are full of distress, distressing things, evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Okay, this is very uh, enigmatic and distressing to this, to this Kohelet. This is a distressing thing, he says in, ver in verse 3. And all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Everything it looks like, you can't, from everything it looks like, you cannot figure out how things are supposed to work. For this, these are the exact same things we've said already. The same things we've said before. He's just going to really drive this point home because you can't know what's going to happen to the righteous or the wise whether he should, he, whether he'll get love or hate out of life, you can't tell. Whether he'll get good or bad out of life, you can't tell. Both are before God to give as he wills. Or we could say both before him at the end of verse 1 is still about the person. Both are before the person. It could happen to him either way. We don't know. So it is the same for all. That's how verse 2 starts. So again, going over this idea that the same thing happens to everybody. Seems like. To the eye, this is what you can't confirm. This is what you can't come to the conclusion about. And it is distressing. It's a distressing thing. It'll cause you stress and distress to try and figure it out. And the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, like it says at the end of verse 3. Full of evil things, full of distressing things. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Because that's what it seems like. I mean, that is what it's like, actually. No question, that's what it's like. Everybody goes to death. People are full of all sorts of distressing things, and, and then they die. But he who, verse 4, but he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Oh, so, he's, so he is pointing out a difference there. At least if you're alive, you still have hope. You can still put your hope in a good place you still should know that there's a 
possibility for there to be an organization in life, for there to be something good to happen. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. So at least the living knows, living can put this together, the fact that he's still going to die. And so he knows that there's still hope for something, hope for something, and he can put his thoughts on something good in that way and do what's right. Because he can trust in God still, that God does know, and that there is an organization to things, and that we are going to be able to stand before God someday, and he's going to make things right. Verse 6, their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. He's talking about the dead people. The dead people, dead people don't have hope. They're already forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Okay, so he does know this is how things work. He's a, he trusts this is how things work and that people who are alive still can hope for something better than what they see with their eye. And they should. And they should, this writer believes, hope for something better. But you can't tell it by looking. You can't tell that anything different is going to happen with what you see on earth. Verse 7 this leads him into his use of this same statement again, which he's continued to use over and over. Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, and God has already God has already approved what you do. Okay, now you can read that statement like the ESV has it written, maybe like I just read. Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. And, and if you're reading that last part that he just wrote and you follow it with that, you can think, well, is he saying then that, that it doesn't matter what we do? God's already fine with it. Just whatever you want to do, do it, whether it's good, whether it's evil, who cares? I don't believe that's it at all. That the writer certainly hasn't proven to us that that's the way he feels at all. He wants people to be righteous and just before God. He believes God will judge between righteous and wicked people. And he won't just let it go. And so it is, uh, it is a very important thing to him what a person chooses to do. So the NLT, the New Living Translation, actually says, so go ahead, eat your food with joy, and drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. For God approves of this. Okay, so God has already approved what you do, that you do in the ESV, God has already approved what you do. That you do is what he just told you to do. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. That, if you do that, he's already approved of that. This is what God wants us to enjoy life with those that we love. We know that's approved. That's what the Kohelet's saying. We can trust that that's approved. We can know that that's a right thing. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life. Live it in a, in a good sense, in a good frame of mind, with peace in your heart. Enjoy that that's what life is about. Because that's a good thing. That's what he's saying. And so, so be close to God in that. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, in verse 9. All the days of your vain life that he has given you to live under the sun. All the days of your perplexing life, your enigmatic life, which you can't understand. Verse 9. So chapter 9, verse 9 is where we are. Uh, 
Enjoy life with the wife with the wife whom you love. Again, he has no problem with women here. He's encouraging this idea to enjoy life with whatever with the lady that God has given you, with the woman, the wife that God has given you, whom you love. All the days of your perplexing life, your perplexing life that you can't figure out, your vain life, your enigmatic life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. You can enjoy life. You can enjoy it with the people that you've been given, with those who are close to you. You can have good fellowship with them. You can break bread in joy. You can drink wine with merry heart. God approves of this. This is what he has given us to do. And verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. That's the idea that he, he's, he's not, I think he's not sure about that. How Sheol works, he doesn't know. How Sheol works, he doesn't know, and he's perfect, perfectly willing to say so. Somehow God brings righteousness and, and uh, wickedness into, into judgment and make things right. But Sheol, who knows what's there, how that works exactly. And so what's death? What's death? What is Sheol? How does that work? I mean, you can't, you can't figure that out. He doesn't know. Don't know if we'll have any kind of thought or knowledge or wisdom to help us when we're there. So the fact is, you've got to enjoy what God's given you today. And that's the very thing that he wants us to be able to do. And to trust that he's going to bring things to their proper conclusion. That's where we are. Okay, so 9-11. Again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil, distressing time, unfortunate time, when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the way things work. To the writer, he's just saying, look, there's no way to tell how, how anything's going to work out for anybody. The battle's not necessarily to the strong. The race is not necessarily to the swift. Bread does not necessarily go to wise people, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. Which you would think all this would be the way it works, but there's no way to know. Sometimes you're just like a bird or a fish that gets caught in a net or a snare, and that's it for you. You can't tell that there's any, any rhyme or reason to this thing called life. Sometimes it's just distressing. You don't understand why it's happening the way it is. This is just how things are. Verse 13, I have also seen an example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it, this little city, there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is done is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. 
I don't know that we should say despised might not be the best translation there. Uh, I don't know that he's saying his wisdom is despised. It's just forgotten. That's what he means by despised. He despise, uh, people have despised it. In other words, they've treated it poorly. They have forgotten it. They have not acknowledged it. Uh, that's what it is. They have despised his words because they haven't remembered and he's heard no more. So he's not remember, remembered what he said. He's not remember, remembered having trouble with that word. But the fact is, even though that's the case, wisdom is better than no wisdom. And this is a, but to him, this is a strange thing for sure. This is uh, one of the examples that he's seen of wisdom under the sun, where wisdom was able to save a, a small city against a, great king who brought his army against it because the wise poor man was able to do something that delivered the city but yet still it doesn't get remembered and this is strange this is odd wisdom sometimes worked this way but he still says wisdom's better being wise having wisdom is better even though it won't necessarily get you remembered even though it won't necessarily uh, be venerated or considered or known or passed along by those who hear it. No, it's still a better thing than being foolish and stupid. Wisdom is better. So wisdom can help. Wisdom does things for people. Wisdom delivers cities. Wisdom does right by other people. It may not be remembered even, but it's still a better way to live than foolishness, which is where this writer is going. He's trusting that wisdom is better. Being wise is better. The words of the wise heard in quiet, verse 17, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So wisdom is better than weapons of war, verse 18, but the sinner, one sinner, destroys much good. So one sinner, one foolish person can still destroy much good, but wisdom's still better. Wisdom's still better. Uh, and so that's where he wants his readers to come down on. Remember, we're in this section where wisdom is a big deal, and he's talking about wisdom. He's talking about both of its limits, what it can't do for you, but yet still the good of it and what it can do. And we're hearing that, of course, right here in what we're reading. But this is one of those sections, one of the two sections in the book. This one being the one next to the end. This is our next to the last section. And it mirrors the second section in the book. So out of seven sections in the book, the second and the sixth mirror each other. And we see that in the use of even this word wisdom. Because it is used 25 out of the 28 times it is used in the book are in these two sections. And we're hearing him use it a lot right here in 13 and following where we've just read. So this is his big point. This is a big deal to him. Wisdom's still good. Wisdom is even great, but it has its limitations and it can't show you everything. It can't teach you everything. Wise men cannot come to you with a final explanation for how things work. That was the last verse in verse in uh, chapter eight is no matter how wise a person is and no matter how much he claims to know, he still can't figure out how God has made everything to work under the sun. Can't do it. You can't apply your heart to that much wisdom, to that much understanding. You just can't find it.
It's not at there, out there to be found. So as we've listened to this today, again at the end of chapter 8, and then again in 9, uh, particularly 9-9 nine, nine and following, where he's saying, this is, here's, here's the point of life. Here's what you need to do. Because we know it's good. We know that it's good and that it's it's godly. It's given to you to enjoy life, the wife whom you love, all the days of your life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and the toil of which you toil under the sun. This is what makes life worth living. This kind of enjoyment, this kind of pouring yourself into what it is that God has given you here. So that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Uh, and applying himself to and encouraging others to do because you just can't figure it all out even with wisdom which is a really great thing you still can't come to a conclusion about why life works the way it does so glad you joined me today uh, as always such a pleasure to talk to y'all um, we will get we're going to leave chapter 10 for next time you probably should get to the end might get to the end uh, of this next of this particular section that we're in right here, which is 1019, if we're going by David Dorsey's, um, which I have got a lot by David Dorsey's uh, structure, not completely, but uh, I think that's what we'll keep doing next time. So the end of our of our next to the last section is going to be 1019. I realize that's just one verse away from chapter 11, but uh, I think that probably probably is right right now i'm thinking uh, a good way to look at it so that's what we're going to do and it's great to talk to you like i said i will be talking to you again with gina next time in just a few days so we're looking forward to her being back and we hope you have a great few days and uh, god bless stay close to the word see you later guys